Hey there, greetings everyone and welcome back to another episode of Plan B Success. We have Dr. Fred Moss with us today, all the way from California. Now, Dr. Moss had an initial interest in psychiatry and he was working in the medical paradigm and what he does now is has a brand by name Welcome to Humanity and he works as a speaker, coach, advisor and is also an author of the book Creative Eight, Healing Through Creativity and Self-Expression. So let's find out about Dr. Moss and what he does in this space. So welcome, Dr. Moss. Oh, great. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Rajiv. It's really just a pleasure and honor to be with you today. Let's get this thing going. Let's uh, find out about each other. Awesome. So why don't you begin and tell us a little bit about yourself? So sure, my name is Dr. Moss, uh, and these days I go by Dr. Fred. Uh, and you know, my my given name when I arrived 64 years ago wasn't Doctor; it was actually just Freddie. And I was called on at that point uh, to be a communicator and to be a connector, to be a source of love and joy. You see, I had two brothers older than me, 10 and 14 years older than me, and the family that they were in with my two parents was in a fair amount of disarray and chaos. So on the day on March 1st, 1958, when they were waiting for me, they were hoping that I would come out as a bundle of joy and a communicator and connector so that I could bring some degree of repair to the family situation. I think I probably did a pretty good job with that over the first several years until my brothers began to get entirely irritated with me. And that's probably a conversation for another day. But one thing I really got to realize is that by connecting people through communication, through creativity, uh, some things could get done that otherwise wouldn't be done without that level of communication. So I began, you know, in, in whatever little boy way I could to be really enchanted with the idea of communication. And I felt like that's all that we needed to learn in this lifetime was how to communicate with each other. My hope as I entered school, kindergarten, uh, et cetera, would be that that's where I would learn that. I would be with a bunch of kids or a bunch of teachers, and they would show me how to talk and listen to each other. But that isn't what happened in kindergarten when I arrived. You know, I was already a bit precocious. I knew how to read. I knew how to write a little bit. I knew how to do simple math because I had my two brothers who had taught me that. And, uh, you know, the kids I was with, they didn't know how to do any of that. And they really just wanted to throw blocks and pick their nose and wait for the afternoon nap. Those are things I wanted to do too, but I also wanted to read. And, uh, and I also wanted to communicate. And so I just I kind of gave up that kindergarten wasn't going to be the space where I learned, but I sure did learn how to talk. I began talking a lot. And in elementary school, I talked in every, every grade. Uh, there's no teacher I had in elementary school who forgets having Fred as one of their students. And I was just hoping to learn how to be a master in communication. If we fast forward a little bit, you can imagine that in junior high, I was disappointed again. In high school, even more disappointed, realizing it was almost worse than kindergarten. And then I decided that I would go to college and I knew there I would really learn how to communicate. So I enrolled and registered at this college that was 40 miles to the west because I love their football helmet. And it was in Ann Arbor, Michigan at the University of Michigan. Mm -hmm. I went there for about a year and a half. And I really learned that communication wasn't what the uh, emphasis was in college either. 
They were asking me to sit in a chair and watch the professor and then remember everything that the professor said word for word and then regurgitate it back. And the closer I could get to being exactly the same, they would then call me a good student and pass me into the next level. Well, that wasn't communication I was looking for. I was looking for discourse. I was looking for um, exchange of ideas and plans and dreams. So I left school. I dropped out of school and I did what any self-respecting person does uh, in the late 70s when they drop out of school. I boarded a Greyhound bus and went 3,000 miles to Berkeley, California. In Berkeley, California, I decided that I would try to find myself. And that summer, living in a youth hostel, I did. However, it wasn't sustainable. And when I called home, my mother told me, you know, come and get your degree and then go back out and find yourself. So I sauntered back and tried University of Michigan one more time. They said there was this new up and coming field and it looked like it had a future and there was a space in the school for me. The field was called computer science and there was only one computer in all of Michigan at the time. The computer was at the University of Michigan. It was a two acre facility that was open 24 seven. And we built up, you know, um, batches of punch cards And then we would turn them in and hope that the program would run. And I did this full time for the next, oh, I don't know, year, year and a half. And you can guess, Rajiv, it became unsatisfying after some time where I thought I'm not going to have a life that does this. So I'm going back on the road. I went home and I told my parents, I'm never going back to college again. And I'm never going back to university. I'm never going to go to school because that isn't where you learn how to be a great human. I want to be a beautiful human and I learn, I learn how to communicate. My mother was in general alignment with that one and got me an application at a place where I could get a job and at least have money to sustain my intention to want to learn how to be somebody who could communicate. The job was at a state mental health adolescent facility, a mental health uh, hospital for adolescent boys. And now, after a few weeks, I began to really love that job because I was communicating. And through that communication and connection, both the children and who were only, I don't know, six or seven years younger than me and me were healing in the process. So I was finally uh, actually having a job where communication and connection was being paid for. I love that job, but I hated the way that psychiatry was used in that job. You see, we would call the psychiatrist and say, you know, Jimmy was up too late or Timmy and Tommy had gotten in a fight and he would come down and write an order into the chart. And then we'd have to hold Timmy down and jam him full of injectable, toxic, uh, adult grade, antipsychotic medication. I hated this. I found this to be barbaric and heinous and unacceptable. And eventually had done it so many times, you know, found Timmy and held him down for the nurse that I decided I needed to come back into school, learn how to be a psychiatrist and bring communication back into that field. Now, to make a long story short, while I was in school the next 13 years, with the sole intention of coming out as a communication based psychiatrist, Prozac was introduced to the world. And when Prozac was introduced, psychiatry was turned on its ear. It had prior to that been a field that was based on communication. But after that, it was a field based on biological psychiatry, or if you another way to look at it would be at chemical imbalances, blaming the person 
if you will, for being uncomfortable. If you were uncomfortable in this world, it was your fault. Now, I never really was aligned with that, but I have to tell you that shortly after graduating and then getting my residency and my internship and my fellowship out of the way, there I was being one of the national leaders as a diagnostician and a psychopharmacologist. So over the next 30 years, I had medicated over 100,000, I had written over 100,000 prescriptions and I had had 40,000 patients, but none of them, you know, I had gone in the field so that I wouldn't have to diagnose and so that I wouldn't have to medicate. And yet this was now what I was being asked to do. This was a massive amount of soul sacrificing duplicity. And I really, really, really had trouble with that. So in 2006, I did something. I pivoted. I call this my true voice moment, where I began to actually take a particular chosen group of low-risk patients and actually take them off their medicine from, you know, some medicine to no medicine. And you know what, Rajiv? They all got better. Some of them got amazingly better. Like it was reliable that they got better. And some of them actually cured the condition they thought they had. Like they were no longer depressed, no longer anxious, no longer nervous, no longer in fear. I began to really get that the diagnosis and the treatment that we were giving these people was actually causing the symptoms it was marketed to treat, at least perpetuating those symptoms. Now, for your listeners, I want to make it clear that if you have a diagnosis and you love your diagnosis and you love your treatment and you feel like it's life-saving and you wouldn't give it up for anything, by all means please continue on that same road. I'm not telling you I have something better than that. But for the hundreds of millions of people who feel like they are misdiagnosed or that they feel there really is nothing wrong with them, but the world thinks that there is, this is where I start really making my greatest headway. We start communicating together. We start creating together. We start connecting together. And in 2006 and forward, and it's something I already knew from prior to kindergarten, Connection is at the heart of all healing. So over the next several years, I began to back out of conventional psychiatry, still doing a fair amount of it, but really turning it into what you have already described, which is welcome to humanity. In 2015, I began that whole brand of welcome to humanity, which I felt really was self-contained and self-explanatory, meaning every single experience that we have is an exquisite one, even the ones that are totally painful and intolerable, even the ones that are completely miserable. All the human experiences that we have in this temporary life are exquisite in nature and add to the potpourri, the smorgasbord of what it means to be a full human being. When I look across the room now, I don't see anybody who's diagnosed. I haven't diagnosed anyone in years. And I also don't medicate people anymore at all as a doctor. Instead, by starting with the idea that I am with just another human being who doesn't know any more than I do about how to live in this world, and I don't know more than them either, but I can connect with them that our job here is to walk through the world and maybe make the place a better than when we arrived, uh, we start to have miraculous healing opportunities. Healing takes place instantly. You don't have to move to a Tibet. You don't have to go to an ashram. You don't have to do psychoanalysis. You can actually heal starting today. And what I mean by that is you are not a prisoner to the habits that brought you to be who you are today. You don't have to keep doing the same things that don't work. 
you, like you already said, can take this very serious pivot and start living into a life that is consistent with who you really are. For me, I have really now began to live a life that is much more aligned with who my real core self is. I am one of the few and the lucky ones who was able to realign my life in such a way said who I am now, who I am now is really a stand for helping people find their true voice and then deliver that true voice into the world effectively and honestly consistent with their authentic core values. Now, I also wrote another book that you haven't mentioned yet, and that's my most recent book called Find Your True Voice. I know it's a wacky title, but really what I'm saying about Find Your True Voice is we have taken a deep dive into helping people really get to their core values, really dig into using this methodology, really dig into what are they made of? What has been glossed over? What has cobwebs over it? What has been superficialized? What has inauthentic, and we start getting to the real authenticities and helping people get that true voice out there. I've taught people how to be podcasters. I've had three graduating classes of podcasting students who went from zero to being world-class podcasters, because this is a great way to get your voice out, as you and I are already discussing today. Here, I've been able to give you my whole story in 12 or 14 minutes, and you know I've been able to do so in an unadulterated way and be able to deliver to the thousands of people that are interested in your show. You get to do that every day or three times a week as well. So podcasting is one of the last remaining vestiges where there is minimal restrictions, minimal censorship, minimal cancellation, minimal monitoring or mitigating. And it's a real opportunity to bring our authentic self forward. Because if we don't speak, no one will ever hear us. And if we don't speak our true voice, no one will ever know us. Now, if we don't speak, I can tell you we can be heard in. But if we do speak our true voice, well, frankly, we can end all wars, inward and outward, because what's necessary in order to take on any of the challenges of this world is our true voice. You could even make a case, Rajiv, that the greatest threat to humanity right now isn't what we think it is. It's not covid it's not climate change. It's not racism or war or sex trafficking. It's not uh, the Supreme Court. It's none of that. The greatest threat in the world today is that we are collectively giving up our capacity to speak our true voice into the world, into a world that is urgently willing, eager, and waiting for what it is we have to say. We have become a group of people who is no longer speaking our true self in an effort to protect our you know, vulnerability. But the truth is, if we don't speak now, the future is pretty bleak, if you haven't noticed. It's pretty grim, yep. for real. And the time is really to speak now or else, well, frankly, we deserve what we're going to get. If we don't speak up now, then, of course, mm, we'll continue down this road that, uh, uh, frankly, doesn't look so promising uh, unless we speak up and really collectively take on what's important to us. Thank you for letting me give you my history to this point. Oh, absolutely. That's fantastic. So let me ask you this question. You, you said in two, 2006 is where you began this new approach. And prior mm -hmm. to that, you were basically diagnosing and prescribing medications and all that. So what changed? What transpired that made you go uh, uh, with this new approach? Yeah, 2006 was a big year for me. Um, there was a, a bunch of, uh, you know, a bunch of challenges that took place, uh, you know, in my personal life and in my professional life. 
Um, there, you know, my daughter turned 13. I had back surgery. Uh, there was, uh, um, a lot of challenges, you know, in my in my professional life to really take a look at, do I want to continue being a doctor and all? And if so, what's going to work for me? And I think what changes is just a breaking point. You know, Rajiv, you can only go so long being duplicitous and pretentious. At some point, it just finally backfires. Every single prescription that I wrote, my my heart would, you know, my heart would break. Every single time I wrote a prescription, even though I knew that's what the customers wanted, it wasn't what I thought would be the best intervention. Having given that Hippocratic oath, having really declared myself as a physician, as a doctor, I knew that I, my real job was to bring forth my, my very best foot forward so that I could bring positive change to my clients. And in 2006, I think what happened is I made a decision to stay as a doctor, but if and only if I was able to do so in a way that I already knew would help my clients. I went into the field knowing that medications wasn't the way that I wanted to deliver healing. After all, that's what happened at Fairlawn Center is I hated holding Johnny down. But when I finally saw that I was actually doing and being that same person that I couldn't stand in the psychiatrist back in the day, I had to make a change. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to continue to survive. So in 2006, when I really got this idea, I wonder if the medications are even helping my clients. And I started that experiment with a few small group of low-risk patients and really got these amazing results of like I said, curing mental illness by moving away the medications and the diagnoses, well, then it's sort of just built on its own with momentum. There's a resonating value of having actually done something that was healing. And my whole career, it really just took an entirely new direction. Even though I kind of was waiting to get there beforehand, now I had taken actions to actually prove that which I already knew was true. And, you know, the books that you talked about, can you tell us more about your first one and the second one? Sure. So the Creative Way 8 was really written because people kept on asking me, okay, if you're going to take away the diagnosis and you're going to take away the medications, what are you going to give people who are upset? And my thought was, well, we don't really have to give them anything. It's like, okay to be upset. It's okay to be upset. That was my first thought. Like, of course, it's okay to be upset. Have you looked outside? Like, you should be upset. If, you, if you're not upset in a world that is this crazy, well, you're missing the beat. So I used to think that, well, we don't have to give them anything. But people just, again, was like, well, what are we going to do with people who are so upset or so angry or so sad or so anxious that they are not functional in the world? And I had already learned back from, again, back from Little Freddie, back from even elementary school, that when we're being creative, when we're actually creating as if our creator, you know, being, a, being an image of the creator that got us here, when we're doing art or music or dancing or singing or drama, cooking, writing, gardening, cleaning, photography, those kinds of things, these so-called symptoms disappear. Our negative experiences disappear while we're being creative. And I knew that. So it became fun for me to realize that all I had to do with my clients was ask them to be creative every day for even one minute, even one minute of creativity, doing art or one minute of dancing or one minute of singing 
can be enough to actually open up our heart. And we can realize that while we're effectively doing something in the performing arts or in the visual arts, our symptoms or our negative experience of life simply disappears. That became the obvious thing to actually interject because in three minutes a day, you can choose three things to do. One minute of dancing, one minute of cooking, one minute of gardening, or something like that. And you get an entirely new life if you're willing to put your hands in the dirt. So the creative eight, healing through uh, 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 creativity and self-expression, was written for that purpose. It was really an easy way to inject a new way of being with my patients. And I had great success in the office with that. Now, moving forward, the creative eight got interjected into my work and other people began to take it on successfully. But when I started really taking a newer stand of helping people find their true voice authentically using all the skills and all the history, all the um, experience and passion that I have had for that, remember, since the day I arrived on the earth, I decided that there was another book to write. That book is called Find Your True Voice. And Rajiv, I think what I'm going to do is offer that to your listeners right now. It's a gift to them if all they have to do is go to findyourtruevoicebook.com. And in the findyourtruevoicebook.com, I'll send them an actual book. I will send them that and I will also pay for the shipping. The idea here is that this is a deeper dive into how to get to our true voice. Because we as adult humans, especially in the Western world, have learned to not be true to ourselves. We've learned to pretend to be somebody else in order to protect the real person that we are. And of course, that is a ludicrous, preposterous strategy. It doesn't work to protect us. Either way, we're going to be disagreed with. We're going to be hated. We're going to be trolled. We're going to be canceled or censored or whatever, whether or not we are being ourselves or pretending to be somebody else. It doesn't protect us adequately or effectively. So I invite people to really start looking at, well, if you're not going to be protected anyways, you might as well just be yourself and see what happens with that. We take all sorts of exercises in that book to learn how to really uncover the, the uh, self that has been hiding and hiding underneath us. You know, we get jobs, like you said, right? We get jobs, like almost by happenstance. We get a job, we get a position in the world. And then we sort of become that position and we have a whole new set of superficial veneer that actually covers who we really are. We're no longer being the little children or the, the wandering, curious human beings. Now we're acting like we're a CPA or we're a financial advisor, a lawyer, a, a doctor, a, uh, uh, you know, a candlestick maker. We're actually take on that identity. But like you mentioned in your introduction, the opportunity comes once you've found yourself in a position to do that great big pivot and get back together with your true self. Find Your True Voice is a book that does that. But more than that, I've created a course that I just completed. The Find Your True Voice course or Your True Voice course is a course where over a period of six months, we really take all, a whole deep dive into finding your true voice and then learning how to deliver that voice, either as a podcaster or a regular conversationalist inside of your job or the community. And that's a job, that's a position, uh, that's a um, educational course that has contact with me during those six months, as well as taking on deep, 
deep dive exercises and learning a whole lot about who we really are because the world is urgent, really urgently waiting for you to say your true voice because without it, again, you'll never be known and you'll go to your grave with your song still in you, as Henry David Thoreau said, you know, quiet desperation. And it's really time to step up because if we don't do it now, when are we expecting to do it? And the time is now and really we're the ones to step in to that true voice of ours. Tell us a little bit about your uh, podcast. Yeah. So, you know, over time, I decided that I, I, as you can hear, I really like being a conversationalist. I like speaking. I like talking to people. I, I've always liked that. It was, I, you can hear it's not, not a new thing for me. And, and it wasn't new when I even arrived at kindergarten. So, um, you know, I didn't even know what a podcast really was, but I knew that I loved having conversations with powerful people. And I have, I'm lucky enough to be uh, good friends with many powerful people in the world. There are people who are in support of what I stand for, who I, I'm, you know, I'm so honored to be their friends. Very powerful people, very people who are influencers. And I began to really see that, guess what? We're all very powerful. There's nobody more powerful than another person. Like we are the power that we're looking for. So I began, that's really when Welcome to Humanity was getting its, you know, getting its teeth to actually be a host of podcast called Welcome to Humanity. If you take a look at the Welcome to Humanity podcast, you'll see that some of the people I've interviewed are people that you know and love already, people who have gotten famous in some sort of way. And for those people, we just really got to the bottom of that they're just humans. They're not anything that much more different or special than any of us. They're just humans who have gotten a fair amount of fame or a fair amount of notoriety, a fair amount of uh, spotlighting. So instead, when I would interview them, we would really spotlight their basic humanity. And for them, it was a treat. Most people, even if they're really, really famous and big, really just want to be known for the, you know, the person that they are. Very few people really want to be known for the image that they are. And that's what we really did in Welcome to Humanity. So for a little bit more than 100 episodes, and I still have a uh, podcast on Tuesday evening that's an internationally distribution I really just take a spotlight look at people and sort of like you point at their greatness, at their greatness being just the core self that is their humanity. I have a co-host that I'm presently leading with and really just taking on what is this life that we pretend to know what we're doing? You know, the truth is none of us know what we're doing. Yeah, 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 none of us. No, especially the people who think they do. Those are the most dangerous people. The people who actually think that they know what they're doing here in this life are full of baloney. And it's okay because I'm one of them. I know how to walk this world and look like I know what I'm doing. I don't know shit, Rajiv. I don't know nothing. And when we really get to the space that we really can see that I don't know any more than a five-year-old, I don't know any more than someone who lives you know, on the other side of town. I don't know any more than the plumber or the garbage man. I don't know any more than the queen. I don't know. And she doesn't know any more than me. It's all good. We start realizing that we are just humans walking through this world with confusion at a baseline. And Welcome to Humanity really pays attention through humor and through interchange and through exploration and discovery that each of us is really just a human 
And we're really just, you know, a human going through this life with all sorts of pain, all sorts of misery, but all sorts of wonder, all sorts of ecstasy, all sorts of pleasure as well. Welcome to humanity. Awesome. So what's the best way for people who want to get in touch to contact you? Yeah, I think the best way, you know, the the brand is still being developed. I think if you really just want to talk to me, the best way to do that is to go to my website, which is actually going through uh, uh, construction at this point, but it's still okay. And that's, uh, you know, Dr. Fred at welcometohumanity.net. So welcometohumanity.net, you'll find a little bit of the old Dr. Moss there as I go through this new pivot of being Dr. Fred. If you really want to get in touch with me, however, you know, and have a discovery call, I'm going to offer that to your listeners as well. So welcome to humanity.net forward slash discovery will get you to the page where you can set up a 20 or 30 minute call with me and see how I can assist. Rajiv, the impact I'm making most these days is in the world of both expert speaking, where I'm speaking to small and large groups about how to get their true voice back urgently and through the teaching that we're talking about, teaching to help people get their true voice through the course and through the mastermind. If anyone is interested in either having me as a speaker or having me as a teacher, like in in sourcing themselves or others to find their true voice, the best way to do that is just to email me, drfred at welcometohumanity.net. Now, of course, I have a social media presence. I don't like social media that much, but who cares if I like it? That's where everyone is. So I have a Facebook presence. I have a LinkedIn presence. I'm learning now quickly how to use TikTok effectively. And the best way to be a hold of, get a hold of me there is to find me on either Facebook or uh, LinkedIn. My YouTube channel is growing and TikTok's growing and maybe Clubhouse is growing and on and on, just like all of us. But the real truth is, if you just want to talk to me, I'm open to do that. And again, it all boils down to what now is my, you know, general email, which is drfred at welcometohumanity.net. Awesome. Well, Dr. Fred, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for sharing your story and what you have to offer. I do hope the listeners take advantage of the freebies that you mentioned on this episode. And uh, we wish you the very best with your brand and with the good work that you're doing and hope to keep in touch. That sounds great. You know, yeah, you mentioned the, the freebies. Another freebie that I can throw out here that's important is that Creative Aid book. Uh, you can get an audio or a, a PDF copy without even having to buy it on Amazon, but it is on Amazon for the hard copy, and that's fine if you want to buy it there. You can find that at welcometohumanity.net forward slash creative or welcometohumanity.net forward slash creative eight, and that's the audible and the PDF version of that book, that first book that I wrote. So thank you, Rajiv. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for asking such great questions. And I wish you a really wonderful weekend. All right, you too. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you.